Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, while I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. This is Dmitry Samarov from Chicago, Illinois. And I love listening to Vishkana's creative control because whether he's talking to a favorite musician or actor of mine or someone I've never heard of, it's as if he's introducing me to a new friend. And the way things are going, couldn't you use a new friend? Listen now. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Sofa was an explosive post-hardcore punk band that existed between 1993 and 1998 in the city of Montreal, Quebec. Consisting of bassist Scott Clarkson, guitarist and Constellation Records co-founder Ian Olavsky, drummer Keith Marchand, and singer and lyricist Brad Todd, Sofa bear the distinction of creating the first two releases by Constellation, a single actually co-released by Sissy Fit, and a 1997 full-length album called Grey, that was only issued on compact disc and initially with handmade packaging. On September 17th, 2021, 
Constellation releases a retrospective double vinyl collection of Sofa's earliest cassette tape releases and songs from Grey. It's called Source Crossfire, and it prompted Sofa and I to connect for a conversation about how they became friends and collaborators, what it was like to live in Montreal in the 1990s, shared interests and influences like Joy Division, Fugazi, Hoover, Nick Cave, Slint, No Means No, The Jesus Lizard, Drive Like Jehu, and tons of other bands. Making taut, frantic punk and brooding ballads, combining abstraction and theatricality in their work, compiling Source Crossfire, Future Plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you, who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control with additional support from Blackbird Music, a well-stocked record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, and friendly staff who will happily help you source special orders for hard-to-find titles, which you can learn more about at blackbird.ca, plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planted Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, this is the 636th episode of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Scott, Ian, Keith, and Brad of Sofa, with your host, me, Vishkana. Hello, Sofa, are you there? Hello, Vish. Hey, Vish. <laughs> welcome. Welcome to uh, my life, I guess. Welcome to the show. It is nice to see you all after, uh, for some of you, many, many years. I'm going to go to each of you individually so you can introduce yourselves, and I'm just going to go in the order that you appear on my screen here. Brad, are you there? I am indeed here, yes. Wow. Uh, wow. was not prepared for the introduction uh, <laughs> part of it. but uh, Very, very stunning what, introduction. What to I know. say? Overflattering. <laughs> I to say. Gets me everywhere. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you uncomfortable with my high sofa. That was a bit over complimentary. I know. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, here we are leaping forward uh, in some cases for uh, some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about uh, by 27 years. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's uh, there's a there's a a large lacuna in there. Yes, yes, you know, and uh, filling those uh, gaps might be a bit uh, onerous to say the least. But yeah. nonetheless, yeah, you know what? I started in visual arts, still plowing that uh, field, as it were, and um, uh, teaching, in fact, at Concordia in the design and computation arts program, and have been doing that, if you can believe it, uh, this, in fact, this month, 20 years ago. So. Yeah, time collapses uh, rather quickly here. Uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of memories for you, uh, just in this gathering. There's a lot of stuff going on in your head. I can tell. Yeah, it, uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's well. Hey, you know, of course, this is part of the uh, wonders of our uh, pandemic-induced uh, zoomified uh, visual experiences. That uh, on the one hand, never have we been so far away from others, but here again. Never have we been so close. So it's a, it's a strange yeah, kind of yeah. paradox of uh, just, uh, yeah, well, whatever. You know, the, you know, the time-space continuum. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah, that's that's fair. This is a, an extended hello. I didn't realize we were going to get into everything right away, Brad, but right okay. Away. 
right away. Dang. Yeah, I, don't I think, think I think we're done now. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, are you in Montreal? I usually ask people where they are. Are you in Montreal? I am indeed. I'm in Montreal. Nice. Yeah. Nice. It's good to see you. Uh, I'm going to move along here. Nice Ian, Ian, are you there? I am here. It's nice to see you, Ian. Nice are, to are see you, you also, too, Vish. Are you also in Montreal? I am in Montreal. You're in the Constellation. I'm just looking behind you there. You are in the Constellation Records HQ, it looks like. I hope that's what that is. That is. Yes. Thankfully, this is not my home in the background <laughs> of the Zoom image. Uh, yep. I am dialing it in from the end of a workday at CST Records. Nice. Nice. How are you doing generally, Ian, in the space-time continuum, as Brad suggests? How are you doing in the world right now? <laughs> Well, all right. Are we going? These are extended uh, mini uh, individual intros. Uh, I'll try and keep it short. Things are very much back to normal in terms of uh, work here at the label, picking up on backlog and releases that were sort of suspended through pandemic. And I mean, I guess I'm counting myself pretty lucky. There's been a fair amount of continuity ultimately. And uh, I've been able to come to the office uh, for months, I was coming to the office alone. No one else was here. But yeah, we're back. We were masked for a while. Now we're sort of, I think, just fatalistic like everyone else. Everyone's vaxxed and I don't know. So far, so good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and excited to be wearing the sofa hat today on this reissue, as, as Brad said, that goes back 25 to 27 years. And uh, and here we all are talking really for the first time since the great royalty dispute that uh, <laughs> kept, us, uh, kept us very far apart uh, since about 1998. So this is kind of like a reconciliation and right. retrospective sort of interview. Right, and we'll probably we'll probably get into the payola scandal as well at some yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. There's the seventeen dollars have been held in escrow since 1998, and uh, uh, we still haven't really sorted that out. I'm uh, I'm I'm eager to talk about the uh, sofa reissue uh, because I, I I'm going to suggest that the sofa album Gray uh, was the first constellation release I ever received, and from you I think at the time because I we as well, you guys all know. I mean, we got together. We connected because I brought you to Guelph to play a show. Right. And I, th- I, I, in my memory, I interviewed somebody from the band. I wrote an article about the band, possibly probably. a re- probably a review of that record. So that's you did indeed. Did I did yes. I talk to you, Brad, or did I talk to Ian? Well, you know, it's probably uh, you know that spot both of us at, uh, at various okay. times uh, throughout the year. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But uh, definitely, uh, I rem- well, we all do. We had a chuckle about it the other day as yeah. well. I uh, remember the, the coming into Guelph and being brought in by you and the kind of little community center that we had the show at and someone, anyways. We can yeah, we in. can get into it in a minute, but I, I, I particularly uh, have a fondness for it because Ian and I have been connected uh, through his work and mine since then exactly. and i think we jogged each other's memories when constellation was a more of a going concern ian at that point constellation was very new right yeah did it even exist i mean i mean it, the, the, constellation yeah. exists constellation started at the very kind of tail end of sofa's illustrious career uh we had been a band for five years or so and yeah you know the winter of 96 was when Don, my label partner, and I were certainly already plotting 
and planning. Although honestly, what we thought we were going to do was like open a performance space first and then kind of like make mm -hmm. like cassette recordings and that didn't really pan out. And Moro got it right, you know, three or four years later and opened Casa del Popolo, which was very similar to, I think, what Don and I had in mind at the time. Uh, but what happened is both Sofa and Godspeed recorded records that winter and they were two of a few bands that uh, we were interested in. I was obviously interested in Sofa. Uh, uh, we were interested in it. You had a vested interest. You had a vested interest in Sofa, yeah. I think it's fair to say. Uh, and, uh, and I guess that winter I realized this wouldn't maybe just be a vanity project and would become something that we'd even release other people's bands. But Sofa was indeed the very first thing we put out. Although, in fairness to, and in uh, shout out to John Asensio, who uh, actually co-released right. with Sofa the very first thing, CST001, which was a 7-inch, Sofa 7-inch. Uh, and John Asensio was a, a huge uh, part of uh, the uh, kind of uh, below indie, below the below radar uh, kind right. of scene at the time and uh, was a great champion of a few bands that were uh, too weird to really dig themselves out of any other holes. And so he was putting on shows in Montreal all the time and often asking <laughs> us uh, to play. Uh, and in fact, yeah, his Sissy Fit, very short-lived Sissy Fit label, where again, I think he put out his own band Starbeam at the time on Sissy Fit and also the 7-inch, which uh, then Don and I came in and kind of co-funded and brought that to fruition. And then the album itself had been recorded in the winter. Uh, so that became CST002. Godspeed was CST003, and those are the first things we put out in 1997. So it was right. just a just a just a dream, just a <laughs> wing and a prayer back then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I, I, like I say, I'm I'm happy that uh, we connected in that way at the time, and it's nice to see you. Uh, as always, Ian. So thank you for making time today. Pleasure. Uh, we are we're neglecting uh, so the rhythm section. I think really, Scott, are you there? Yes, I am. Hello, Vish. Nice to uh, see you, Scott. Uh, how are you? I'm well, thanks. Yeah, I'm in uh, Toronto, just to geographically locate myself. Appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks. Now, what are you up to? Uh, we we kind of got it. Brad uh, introduced himself and explained what he'd been up to. Ian, we know from Constellation. What, what do you do there, <laughs> Scott? <in> yeah. <laughs> well, I moved uh, after the, the, the sofa thing uh, ended. Uh, I stayed around in Montreal for a couple of years, and I, I was in New York City uh, studying acting for a few years, and then I moved to Toronto, and I've been here for about 15 years. Um, haven't been doing a lot of that lately, certainly not with the pandemic. Uh, there's, you know, there were canceled shows, and, you know, I'm getting to an age where I don't, I don't work hard at anything anymore. <laughs> so, no, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm working a day job here. Uh, I still work on music and theater and whatever else here uh but it's been a quiet couple of years i gotta say and and i, I just want to interrupt myself if i may uh ian i didn't know there were sofa hats can i get one no okay oh well that's i guess we can throw over to keith now yeah Thanks. this is taking kind of are we breaking up taking again? an awkward turn i didn't realize that merch would be withheld from Within the band. I mean, this royalty dispute, I thought it was over. What's going on? You have to subscribe to Constellation on Bandcamp. Uh, <laughs> Scott is joking. There are no sofa hats. <laughs> if there were sofa hats, Scott would be getting bucket loads of them. There are yes, sofa yes. sofas. Are they? Oh, okay, yes. good. That, we have a line of furniture good. we're putting out. 
That is a good marketing ploy. Well, Scott, thank you for that. Uh, we move on to Keith. Keith, are you there? I think so. Last time That's I checked. How I feel. That's how I feel most days as well. Yeah, it's nice to uh, see you, Keith. Uh, Why, where in the world you. are you? I am in Montreal, where nice. I... Uh, you... hmm? Please? I was going to say, do you, you're you in Montreal, you and Ian and Brad. Do you see each other socially often? I know, uh, pandemic notwithstanding, would yeah. you normally uh, see each other? It's uh, We saw each other last when uh that was a couple of months before the pandemic i believe yeah we went yeah, for we dinner did. and yeah hung out yeah. and uh yeah it's been a bit patchy but uh you know i think we try to keep up and uh you know life sometimes runs away on you but i think we uh we've done a fairly decent job of keeping in touch yeah one thing that uh, occurred to me uh, as I was listening to this sofa issue is that uh, you are a fantastic drummer, if I might say. One drummer oh. to another. Here, here. Yeah. Why, thank you very much. That's very kind. Yeah, I really enjoy it. Do you still play at all? I do. I do. And it's who, been a bit tough. Um, obviously, getting together at the height of the pandemic was not going to happen with someone I've been writing music with. We have a practice space in a friend's house, so uh, we're putting something together we're not quite sure what oh oh it's, so uh, this is a new thing have you been slowly active taking shape yeah okay okay it's new have you been yeah. playing uh since sofa have you were you in bands we might know uh i was in a band called the donkeys yeah fuck yeah uh i was in a band oh, are we allowed to swear swearing's okay yeah it's yeah it's still not free we're currently and under the current canadian government we're all allowed to swear right. we'll see what happens Great. next <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, Keith, you, you've been playing in the donkeys. Okay, I'm, I'm not familiar yeah. with the donkeys. It made Ian swear. I know that it's cuss-worthy. Was that a fun band? Uh, that would be a good word for it, yeah. <laughs> I suppose it depends on one uh, one's outlook. But, yeah, uh, sort of the who meets the stooges meets the cows. Oh, wow. That sounds right up my alley. I need to know more about the donkeys. Mm-hmm. Plus, you got the donkeys, cows connection there's kind of a little it's exactly. old, old mcdonald's farm thing happening in your <laughs> in your music scene it seems anyway no that's great well this is this is lovely uh i want to obviously for people listening who may not be familiar with sofa i want to try to trace uh the band's history a little bit for them and for me and i wonder if we can go maybe back to brad mm. uh, to begin and and feel free to augment his stories fact check as we go brad to your recollection uh, how did this assembly uh, that became SOFA first come about? <laughs> wow, we are yeah, really going back here. Basically, initially, Keith and I got to know each other in the summer preceding the formation of uh, SOFA, which happened in that January. Uh, and that summer, he was taking a course uh, which I happened to be teaching at the time as a graduate student at, uh, at, in, here in Montreal. At the Concordia, in fact. So then that was our first contact with someone uh, attached to the Montreal, you know, yes, music community at that point. Uh, before that, however, of course, uh, Ian and I had met uh, uh, a few years before that. Oh, okay. So well, you and Ian. You Ian and, and I, e- oh, okay. indeed, yes. And so we, uh, we met through mutual friends as university students and uh and you know just instantly uh there was you know the exchange of uh, mixtapes of, of like all right hey you're into you know sort of 
Northeastern American hardcore, <laughs> check this out, you know. Right, right. You. So really a, a lot of uh, mutual sort of uh, ground there in terms of what we were uh, kind of thinking about or, 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 you know, experiencing at that time, especially in the early 90s uh, musically. And, there, uh, if, oh, I'm, if I'm if I may interject, yeah. were there were there particular bands uh, that you were both into at the time? I'm just curious. Well, the the overlap, you know, funnily enough, it, right away was uh, both Fugazi, of course, uh, as usual, and Husker Du. Oddly enough, uh, was another early one that there was a uh, you know a shared affinity for. But of course, whatever if that quickly spiraled out into dozens, then you know uh, tens of and then hundreds of <laughs> different uh, sort of bands that we were uh, kind of uh, glomming onto. So yeah, Ian and I friends for several years. Boom! I'm suddenly coming out of a graduate program, uh, teaching a summer course. I meet Keith. Uh, Keith is a drummer uh, and had been a drummer in a couple of hardcore bands. That January, uh, basically, oh. uh, of uh, 1993. 93? Uh, oh, my goodness. Basically, okay. you know what? Yeah. I'm going to say January 1st because, I, in fact, I think it was literally New Year's Day. Huh. I called Keith up. Uh, for, sorry. First, I called. No, I can't remember who I called. <laughs> But basically, it was Keith and Ian. You know, do you have I, your Do you have phone records handy? Is there something we can cross yeah, exactly. from that time just records? so we can figure this out? <laughs> Ian, is, Ian, does this check out? Brad, Brad you you became friendly with Brad. Is that does uh, <laughs> that actually check out? Ian, is Brad your friend? That's where I'm coming from right now. Yeah. You're friends with Brad. <laughs> yeah, Brad. Brad's my friend. Uh, and Brad and I were friends at that time, and 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 a few years previous, and had bonded over listening to music not playing right. music together. Okay. Both of us were, I mean, I was quickly spiraling out of academics as an undergrad at the time, but my horizon was was more actually about studies and, well, no, partying and then studies, right. I guess, really. And uh, yeah, you know, we were bonding over both record collections we had brought to Montreal with us. I'm from Winnipeg originally. I moved here in 88 to Montreal and Brad probably around the same time moved here from Calgary. Oh. And uh, I suppose one nice anecdote from that time is, you know, uh, for for a few years, there was a great store on Saint Laurent exactly. in Montreal uh, that rented CDs. Very you could go in like a video, like a video right. store. You could go in and for like a buck a CD, you could rent CDs for a day or like 48 hours or something. So, of course, we would go and rent them and tape them <laughs> immediately, just yeah. duplicate them. Yeah. And then we would, you know, and then we would make mixtapes from that. But also, I mean, Brad was an insane archivist of this stuff. He would be going in there, I would say, daily, you know, renting 10 at a time. Whenever we had 10 bucks, we'd go and rent 10 CDs and tape them. Uh, Brad had a three-ring binder cataloging with numerical stickers on his tape collection because there were hundreds. In fact, I, I would think a thousand yeah. plus, yeah, 1,500 or so. And so, you know, just to like flesh out what Brad was saying in terms of in shared influences prior to us ever making a note of music together at all, which didn't happen until Sofa, all four of us really were exactly. assembled, was, you know, the things that Brad was referencing and uh, all of that kind of Midwest stuff that was also emerging that was more post-hardcore and post-punk, touch and go and atavistic and, you know, drag city and all that stuff 
but also for sure, you know, absolutely worshipped at the time at the altar of Nick Cave and the birthday party and Joy Division and, you know, sort of first wave, late 70s British Mm. post-punk. And yeah, we were, you know, we were hoovering it up. I mean, this was still, I mean, I at the time was was 20 or 21 or something and and still, you know, accumulating knowledge about, uh, you know, I mean, I didn't grow up with older brothers or anything. And so, you know, my reference points up to that point as a teenager were like REM and Talking Heads and The Smiths and, uh, you know, starting to dip my feet a little bit more into yeah, the early uh, punk and hardcore, but especially post-punk and post-hardcore, which was obviously firing on all cylinders at that time. Uh, so, yeah, we had this, uh, you know, let's be clear, we were, all of us, broke as shit and remained so for many, many years. Yeah. So the CD rental thing was like an amazing boon yeah. and, and, and a complete, this is pre-Napster, needless to say, pre-first wave Napster, this is pre-file sharing, nobody had internet, needless to say. So that was like an incredible uh, way of, you know, aside from taping the albums we had and sharing them with each other, this CD rental place was uh, was like a gold mine. And then, of course, it got put out of business. But Did you yeah. did you guys not have libraries? Because I used to do the same thing, but from the library. Nice. I would take the CDs out of the library they and I would take them. They didn't have as good a unfortunately. No, they didn't good. have as good a collection. I, I discovered lots of stuff. I the, did as I, well. Shout I out to the well. Cambridge sure. Public Library in Ontario. It was right. a very good library well system. Done. I enjoyed it. Yeah. 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 No, we were <laughs> we private. Have, uh, we went private. We went private. <laughs> <laughs> privatized, privatized your borrowing. I see. I've never heard of this. That's interesting. Uh, Scott, you've. Uh, I have not heard your name dropped in this trajectory yeah, no, thus far. How did you come to... Yeah, how did you come? Yeah. How did you come to meet these people? And uh, yeah, I, I was the last one to join. Ian, I think, mentioned John Asensio earlier, and these three guys had already done a demo tape uh, with John on bass. He's a fantastic bass player. Uh, he'd been in a ton of bands already uh, in the Montreal scene, but he had his own things Including going the on. The Doughboys. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. He was in the Doughboys. I see. Yeah. That. But you'd probably know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so he, you know, he had the bona fides. He was he was terrific. But he had his own things going on. I don't think he was ready to com- commit to a, another band. And a mutual friend of Brad's and myself, I had met working at a record store because it was the 90s. And I ran into him on the street and he had a copy of their three song demo and uh, had me listen to it. And he said they were looking for a bass player. And I wasn't sure I wanted to get into a, another band situation. I'd been in a couple, but he gave Brad my number. And uh, I guess it would have been May or June of 93. I got the phone call and Brad was insistent. And I, uh, I went to the rehearsal hall and, uh, and I, I liked the guys. I liked what I heard. And Boom. and that was it. With, within, a, I think, two months, we had our first show. Yeah, I, I see exactly. Now I want to get a little uh, get into your sound a little bit. It's a it's a very dynamic post hardcore sound. I think Ian uh, may maybe use that term or post punk, what what have you. But uh, your uh, Ian also uh, referenced uh, Hoovering it up, and one of my favorite bands is a band called Hoover. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, do you? I don't know uh, mm-hmm. when I listen to the rhythm section in particular. I hear well. No, that's not true. I hear it in the guitar too. But let's focus on the rhythm section. Uh, Keith, uh, can you talk about maybe your influences as a player? I reference Hoover just because that's a, a thing I hear, and it could be you've never heard of them, and they didn't have any role in your life. That's fine. I can live with that. 
I don't have to be right all the time, but I've seen them a few times. <laughs> you saw Hoover a few times. Look at that. Yes, yes, sir. Okay, Bliss toured with them. Do you remember Bliss? Oh uh, yeah! Wow. Colin, Colin, and I were exploring some territory that we were getting from bands like Drive, like Jehu. Yes, I'm a big fan no, of them. No means no. Yes, I hear that too. This is amazing. I was today just yeah. thinking about No Means No and Gang of Four and a couple mm-hmm. other things. And the Jesus Lizard comes to mind all the time now that I've been listening. Mac to McNeely yes. era Jesus Lizard, He's especially crazy yeah. drummer. Yeah, goat. Yeah. Goat essentially. Goat. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Okay, so we're on the same Absolutely. page. Same wavelength. Exactly. We were destined to be together. That's why am I not in the band? I should also be in the band. I mean, that's what we're getting at. So these, this is your audition, actually. <laughs> so yeah, you, you should are, have been our roadie. Fish. I should have at least been your roadie. Yes, I think I was at least for one night. Yeah, I, I think it's. I, was, I think I was helping lug some gear in. But anyway, okay. And then you wrote us up. Even you interviewed I, us. I, and did, wrote I us did. I did. I did everything I could to be as ingratiate myself to be in, as much in the band as possible. No. Uh, no, so Keith, so those are influences that, is that something you and Scott shared? That sort of... Uh, well, the thing that I think we all share that I found especially interesting was that we like things like, say, uh, the birthday party, as Ian mentioned, and Phil Calvert actually is also an influence, yeah. but we also liked the Bad Seeds, and I didn't really know anybody who... I saw the Bad Seeds in 87, and I tried to convince everybody I knew to come with me, and no one would. Right. Let's put it that way. They were wow. that out of fashion right. or perhaps not yet into fashion at that point. So I found it really nice to meet guys who actually knew who they were, who knew actually what Joy Division had worked on. And then what I also tried to bring, and I don't know if I could, I don't think I could speak for Scott, but um, sort of some early Blue Note stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Max Roach is, I think, possibly my favorite drummer. Yeah. Because he just plays for the song and... Mm. And that's what I was trying to bring to the swingier, darker, loungy stuff. You got it, Keith. And what I was trying to do with what I contributed, and I thought, I think what Scott and I were offering to each other was to use as little brass as possible for the heavier stuff and to make it as, um, it was sort of minimalism, but also extremely propulsive, or at least that's what we were trying to do. Yeah, no, that comes across. Uh, Scott, do you want to comment on that in terms of things you both uh, enjoyed uh, and maybe how you began to play with Keith? Well, when I when I got to hang out with these guys, it was a real education for me because I wasn't exposed to a lot of the same stuff that they were. And I, uh, I discovered some some artists that I still love to this day, things that influenced my playing but also kind of vindicated what i was already doing uh joy division comes to mind i hadn't heard that much of it and then when when they played me the closer album i think it was i was like oh okay this is just a couple of months into playing with them i was like oh you like this then okay i I know where we're going so the melodic chordal stuff that peter hook can play and the other guys in the band just just knew what to do with that kind of thing so i was very happy I could start contributing to the dialogue among the four of us. So yeah, love that stuff. We we would listen to Jesus Lizard, and I can hear that in some of our stuff. Uh, Codeine was a, mm-hmm. a big one for us. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. We, we could just oh, the yeah. bad seed, of course. No, I was just going to say, I, I wasn't intending to do a full litany of influences, but I, I there are things that I hear. I will confess to you, like, you know, Got the Sofa CD in... 1997 probably and then have not revisited it in 
a long time. And then this material that you've compiled for this uh, special edition reissue uh, project is just phenomenal. Like it, it, to me, it really scratches a lot of itches. Uh, it is the sound that I was really into at the time. And it still seems very, I mean, to me, it was, it now feels like we slept on sofa like this band. I mean, I was lucky to see you and I, and I, I gather very few people got to see you cause you probably didn't play very often. So I, I just feel very fortunate that I was exposed to it. And now like, I really, I can't believe it. Like it's really revelatory and timeless, if you will. Although I should say it's also very much of the time we're describing. Like there's a lot of this kind of sound percolating in underground in, in towns in the underground all over the place. It's just interesting that we were all kind of connected in this way, I guess is what I'm getting at. Does that make sense to you, Scott? Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Should have got Beast to write the one sheet. <laughs> That's so sweet. Beast. No, it really is we nice did play, we played constantly. We just played to the same thirty people That's in right. Montreal right. every month for years, you know, and then to Guelph uh once what? or twice <laughs> yeah. and to Toronto once or twice and yeah. you know one one short tour into the US with Geraldine Fibbers. I mean, Montreal was a very, very isolated scene. And, you know, I think the whole music landscape was in transition, you know? I mean, it's it's a cliche, but this kind of like post-grunge hangover and, uh, you know, just people sort of recording demos and sending them to Sub Pop. You know, everybody was thinking about the US labels well, yeah. of, the, of the moment, yeah. you know, and for good reason, there were great labels happening, but, you know, yeah. uh, obviously um, there was something very insular yeah. about in both good and bad ways, like any scene. But, you know, I think Montreal had a real intense insularity to yeah. it at the time. Yeah. Uh, and it was also like a very small Anglo scene at the time. I mean, you know, it, things were kind of in between, like what we heard as uh, we would hear were the, the some glory years of the early 80s with, uh, I mean, Doughboys is kind of a bad example because they, they were, I think, very pop punk and obviously, but, but they, but they, they were quite successful. Yeah. Uh, and then there was a much, much grittier scene in, in, in Montreal, uh, surrounding Fufun Electrique. And I'm sure actually Keith, who's a Montreal native and was really knee deep in this stuff, playing, playing in other bands before oh, yeah. Sofa came yeah. around can speak to that even better. But I mean, we just practiced constantly yeah. <laughs> you know it's all we did it was like four or five days a week for four hours at a time in the jam space it's all we lived for you know we had nothing well with else. this with, i mean with, again with, i that sounds dramatic it was completely i true. think uh one of the hallmarks of this sound that uh i'm describing uh, and your sound uh describing among some of the other bands is you had to practice you had to be very i remember that was the thing we would say as post-hardcore punk kids how was the band they were tight and I was like, you would say, oh, yeah, they were really tight, you know? I guess the kids today might say sick, but we meant <laughs> they played well together. They clearly, like, had, pra like, in your head, you're like, they put the work in, and they, they were pretty flawless. Like, that's a hard sound to fake. You can't not, you can't be unpracticed and pull what Sofa pulled off. Is that fair? Do you know where I'm coming from, Ian? Like, you had to practice, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's super true of all kinds of bands working yeah. in the same genre now. Uh, but I know what you mean. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that I found as we revisited these recordings, you know, which I should say, like, all we ever had was the was the mixes. You know, we didn't have multi-track recordings to go back to. So these are not remixes. These are just using 
you know, the two track stereo mixes and, and doing our best to try and remaster them uh, yeah, and yeah, bring them to yeah. life. But, you know, the point there is while we did uh, in the case of the, the gray record, we did multi, I mean, we did record to a multi-track uh, rented tape that we weren't even able to own at the end because it was so expensive we couldn't afford it. Yeah. So we taped over someone. It was like working tape at the studio, you know. Someone taped over it again probably after we used it. Oh, uh, you don't even have your masters at all. Wow. No, there's no, 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 yeah. no. And and the uh, you know album number two, which is the stuff that digs back into sort of these self released cassettes that we did, recorded by Paul Durant. That was all recorded live to two track that. But even the gray stuff, it's. Uh, I mean, there are, I think, two songs or three where there was like a little overdub done. But this is, I mean, obviously, like this is all pre-Pro Tools. There's no digital editing happening. You don't get to clean anything up. And you also don't get to spend more than a day. Uh, I think we had two days uh, for Grey tracking, you know, from midnight to six in the morning when the studio time was free or almost free. So it's all, you know, it's all essentially live for sure. Yeah. Genuinely live recordings, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that. Uh, Ian, I want to come back to you in a moment about your own uh, musical contributions to this sound uh, because the guitar is outstanding. But I do want to go to Brad for a moment. Uh, Brad, in terms of the the lyrics, are you the primary songwriter in the band? Uh, yeah, I, you, yes. You wrote right. the songs. And, the, yeah. yeah, I was going through the lyric sheet and uh, I was trying to figure out what the hell was going on. It's very, Ooh. very fascinating uh, writing. Uh, can oh, you talk no. a little bit about your own influences? I think we've talked about a few bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about Joy Division. I mm-hmm. hear, I hear Ian Curtis. Uh, we've talked about the Jesus Lizard. I hear David Yao. There's probably other people in there. Can you talk about your, because it's a decision you made, I Mm -hmm. think, your approach, your aesthetic, both lyrically and vocally. What was going on at the time uh, that resonated with you to say, this is how I want to present myself? Can you speak to that? Well, and I, from what I gather from your question, firstly, is that uh, we're talking about maybe even the timber of uh, yes, vocal yes. Uh, yeah, delivery. And the, and the mix. Yeah. And the, absolutely the yeah. mix. I mean, that's maybe a... Buried in the, in the music, as I, it were. I have... So uh, very conscious yeah, as I, well. I have gone... Yeah. I've been psychoanalyzing my own post-hardcore uh, <laughs> recordings, mm. and I've been talking to people about how that mix burying uh, of the vocals is a i think a really fascinating psychological choice about mm-hmm. uh, about Absolutely. someone's agency yeah. their confidence at the time and what we were sure. you know putting all this time into this i did it too we all did it we put so much time into mm-hmm. lyrics and then we would bury them we would scream our mm-hmm. way through these vocals and you and you if you didn't have the lyric sheet you'd have no idea what we were saying so sure. that's where i'm coming from a little bit yours are more discernible but I did request a lyric sheet because I'm like, I can't, right, yeah. I want to know what's going on here. Sorry, I didn't mean to go on mm-hmm. a tangent, but go ahead, please. Yeah, yeah, no, no, not at all. I mean, uh, A, let's uh, tackle the vocal thing firstly. Sure. You know, yes, obviously, these names bandied around here. Uh, of course, Ian Curtis, uh, certainly a huge influence, but, you know, to so many young, you know, 20-something-year-old uh, uh, musicians and, and music fans, a uh, kind of unimpeachable presence there. But also just, you know, I equated a kind of deeper delivery, you know, not so much baritone, but certainly left of mid-range as being closely connected to theater in a way. You know, there was a kind of... A, a, 
dramatic uh, sensibility to it. And that's where I, uh, you know, of course, loved you know, Nick Cave and, and uh, David Bowie or Scott Walker or, uh, you know, there's, a, there's a, any number of these, uh, Jacques Brel, of course, people who were very much part of a kind of, uh, and I, th- I think Ian even brought this up at one point when we were speaking earlier about a, a kind of uh, speak singing. Or, yeah, or, right. Uh, and I, yeah. I, of course, there's a German word for it that I cannot recall, but the Sprechsang or whatever it is. You know? Very much that uh, kind of delivery was, yeah, you know, connected to a kind of neuroses as well and a, a very much a kind of, well, yeah, sense of uh, uh, dramatic, yeah, dramatist. Of, of some Drama, sort of but way. maybe also hiding a little bit. I mean, you write, I think. Sure. There is, a, as I said, a theatrical notion to that, th- which all, yeah, yeah I think your, li- your lyrics are rather enigmatic. Like, I can pick up on the emotive mm-hmm. qualities, but it's also very enigmatic, uh, nonlinear in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're expressing something and it's artful, but it's indirect. And I, I always find that mm-hmm. fascinating. And I think. When you look back on something as we are today, something from 27 years ago, do you have any kind of objective perception of yourself now? Like, what the hell was I? Like, I this <laughs> yeah. is telling me something. I mean, I think we all, when you go through your archives, in my case, when you move across the yeah. country, you are confronted with your past and you're like, what the hell what was going else. on back yeah. then uh, that I, cl- exactly. I needed to keep this? Do you have some yeah. fresh perspective on yourself uh, via your work? Well, you know, you, you used the word timeless earlier, and I would say that even today, those feelings and images that I dredged up as a 20-something-year-old still hold. Yeah. You know, I, I, I stand by all of them, in fact, which is a, you know, a funny thing because... Yeah, often one would look back on, you know, teenage or, or uh, you know, early adulthood, uh, poetic sort of uh, musings or even poetry. You know, yeah, it's, it's a tough pill <laughs> to swallow. <laughs> However, you know, I was coming out of the visual arts. And for me, you know, my gold standard was people like, sure, early REM, where they are chopping blocks of abstraction into digestible chunks that that somehow you know uh have a resonance that that isn't so much cogent or upfront but certainly you know speaks to our inner selves or dreaming selves or what have you they make sense somehow and so for me you know it was how i thought of music music was this incredible world where it, it it happened in your mind in a way you know unlike visual arts unlike film unlike Honestly, any of the arts. Right. Let's right. face it. Music is the is the gold standard of creating these kinds of worlds and in, in, and and speaking really to the the, the deepest parts of right. ourselves right. in a way. So you don't need to spin a tale or have some kind of narrativity to you know affect someone or uh, articulate emotions that are are being firstly sculpted and i should say this by the music you know music always came first i was absolutely lucky to be with these gentlemen who you know allow willing to play for hours and hours and hours as brad (laughs) 
I should say, Brad, that Vish did get from me your lyric sheets from that okay. era. And in some cases, multiple drafts. So he could see, yeah. you know, Oof. sort of... Uh, it's amazing that Brad's held on to this stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's a few examples of songs from this collection that... Uh, Brad has uh, iterations of yeah. uh, so you can and so Vish has been able yeah to the edits yeah see, the process you know. yeah exactly yeah, yeah it's it, that's fascinating and stuff yeah. what I can make out some of it Brad some of it's chicken scratch I can't read a word of it it's all just yeah you yeah. know free hand yeah perfect. no it's that's, good but I, no I, I <laughs> yeah that was the hand at three a.m. or even even perhaps in the studio I used to uh, I used uh, to try to write songs at my self serve gas station job and I would write them on whatever they had and then take them to the band. And and that actually leads me to a question maybe for Keith or Scott in particular, just out of curiosity, because often uh, the lyrics are very personal uh, by the singer or whoever's singing a song, whoever's written, whoever's uh, responsibility it is in a band to write lyrics. Uh, Keith, do you have any recollection of discussion of the songs, their images, the lyrics? Did that ever come up in a band dynamic? I always considered Brad to be the Charles Baudelaire of rock music. <laughs> He's not kidding. I, I'm, I'm sort of kidding. But uh, I, we, I think we all had the same, not simply musical, sort of generally musical tastes, but also literary and the visual arts as well. So I think I knew where Brad was coming from. Um, and when I play, I always try to sound strange for drums, but I try and keep the mood within where the lyrics or the general tone of the song is going and punch yeah. along, like add in sort of possible accents, punches or lack thereof when there's something going on lyrically. But like I said, I think we uh, had fairly similar tastes. The REM thing was interesting, too, because that was also refreshing that there was a group of people who like melody, which is from where I came from musically, that was not something people were trying to achieve. Yeah, so it definitely did um, influence. I think a lot of the use of the ride symbol is to stay out of the way of the music, if you will, and try and make it moody. Yeah. And there's always a certain darkness to sofa, so I guess I was just trying to uh, make it darker, trying Dark. <laughs> trying to darken it from my <laughs> from my own side. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I can appreciate that, Scott. Sort of similar question: Did you interact with Ian's vocals or lyrics in a way in your own playing, the way Keith has described? Brad. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry, Brad. Brad. Sorry, Brad. Brad. Sorry. Yeah, you know, there was such a a trust and a respect there. I don't remember a lot of discussions in the rehearsal space about what he was coming up with. And conversely, there was very little discussion about what the other musicians were doing. We knew when we found something that fit and that we could work with and we kept going. Listening to the uh, the new collection the past couple of months, I've just been reminded, you know, what an excellent lyricist Brad is. It is very abstract. Yep. It is very dark. But that's the music he was, that's the bed he was given to lie on. Yeah. And it just, it, it just, it works so well. If, if anything, I wish I could hear the lyrics more because I love what I hear. I can't even make out everything he's singing. And that's, that's me coming from more of a, a pop background uh, and loving pop music <laughs> and loving, loving good lyrics. But I know they're there. Yeah. 
if you like, if you like, if you like, Scott, I can email, I can email you the lyrics if you like. I have, <laughs> I have them now. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask uh, Ian to put it in with my hat. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I apologize to everyone else in the band. I literally just got those sorted for Vish last night, or was it even this morning? I think it was I asked this you. I, t- I, t- uh, I texted but, uh, you yesterday, uh, and then I think I was emailed them today. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And yeah, sorry, yeah. I'm going to be sorry for the uh, sorry for the last minute request. I thought I had everything, and then I actually looked at in terms of uh, you know assets, as we call them, complementary assets to the yeah. record. And I yeah. realized I didn't. And then as as I was listening to the collection today, I was like, I can't. I remember I have a sense memory of first hearing Gray and having the same sensation of like I can't quite figure out what's happening. It's interesting, but I can't figure out what the singer is saying. And then when I saw you, it was similarly theatrical. <laughs> and knowing us, it was probably a very makeshift sound system, so that probably didn't help. But um, no, it was fascinating. Uh, Ian, I want to get to you and your guitar playing, because that's a really major mm-hmm. uh, color in oh, yeah. the sofa uh, painting. I don't know why I went that route with that analogy or wherever I was going there. But tell me about sure. your guitar playing. It's really, really strong and bold. Uh, do you have influences at the time that you want to cite, or... Or did you take lessons? Are you just making this up? <laughs> uh, that's a very good. Uh, that's a very good starting point. Uh, <laughs> most definitely, no lessons. No lessons. As far as references, I think we've covered like piles yeah. of them. And as 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 Scott said, we could we could go on and on. I am an absolutely untrained guitar player and had never played electric guitar ever. Wow! Before Sofa. Before Sofa. The very first things that Brad and I did, I think, with Keith like literally in an apartment, like tapping out some, just getting a vibe. Like before we even went into a rehearsal space, I had an acoustic guitar. Uh, When I was living in Winnipeg as a teenager, my musical dream was like the, the, you know, or uh, like that, that I I had a, I had one of the first ever digital samplers and and Sonic that, you know, with onboard like editing and, you know, you could actually record a sample into it and then spread it across the keyboard. And, you know, so I was really a bedroom musician uh, and not even, I mean, a hobbyist, you know, it wasn't even my passion. Like I was definitely much more, thought I was much more academically inclined. I was wrong about that uh, and found that out pretty soon and hence sofa but uh so i came to montreal with nothing picked up a cheap acoustic guitar that i jammed around with a couple friends on even before meeting brad for that matter and i had never played guitar before even moving to montreal so so i i did have like i knew my way around a fretboard uh to some degree is you know just like anyone else like you just it's like you work with your limitations yeah and you and, you uh, played with a fairly rudimentary uh, kind of a pedal setup is that correct i had two pedals i had a i had two boss pedals i had the yellow overdrive and the orange distortion uh they right. were two of the cheapest pedals you could buy uh, and they would break, and then you'd buy another one. They would also start to fry and sound really cool for a while until they died. So even then, that sound would change. Like even over the course of the five years that Soap played, there'd be times when, when the dis- the distortion, the Orange Boss distortion in particular, would like, you know, be yeah. sort of half half alive, would start to fry and almost sound better. And then you'd be like, mm, that's not going to last. Yeah. You know, so uh, so. Some shows would sound different than others, and then uh, I think I, I I don't know. I think we probably when we would actually would go into the studio, 
such as it was, or into the loft space when we recorded the cassette stuff, I think I probably would be like, okay, I got to go. I got to save 60 bucks and go get a fresh pedal for these sessions because <laughs> we need to be somewhat reliable. And then the other thing that, that I did, and I have no idea, I mean, I must have, somebody must have been doing it and I thought it was cool. And I'm pretty sure it was also a hazard in terms of amperage and in terms of electricity, but I biamped. So I had this small little Princeton, a Fender Princeton yeah. amp uh, with a really nice rattly, uh, you know, reverb tank in it. And then I had a very clean, warm, Marshall reissue, Marshall. a Bluesbreaker reissue, which had a uh, tremolo, like a true tremolo. You know, it, it had two. It was a two-speaker combo amp, and so pretty soon, I think. Right, I don't know. Did, was I biamping right away, or was that something that I can't even remember? No, no I came no. along. You got that amp from Leslie. The yes. Princeton. Yeah, that's right. And that was probably about three, four years in, in fact. I, yeah, th- just so people listening understand, this is Leslie Nielsen? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. just on the, exactly. Sometimes you wandered onto the set of The Naked Gun and then he gave you these amps. Yeah, I remember, he gave me this I remember these stories. Uh, right, okay, yeah. so you got... Yeah, he thought I was funny and... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who Leslie is. I was just taking a shot right. in the dark. Uh, <laughs> so is that really true? You're saying like three, four years in was when the, the bi-amping started. Was the bi-amping... You no, know I, I re- yeah, sorry, oh, I was oh. just going to say, I remember when, when we were doing the cassette stuff is when I remember you doing the bi-amp stuff, right. so that's 95, so yeah. that's two okay. years two in, because right. you can hear it on that second LP, it's reverby guitar and great squalls yeah. of noise yeah. that you, you're not doing so much on the Grey album two years after that, or a year and a half after that. Right. So for me, that's some of my favorite guitar stuff you do, because it's so so noisy it's it, it, wonderful it really but it was right in the middle of it really our is tenure. it's she- sheets of noise my only references for it maybe and you can dispute this if you like but i hear a little bit of like slint uh guitar and sure. maybe albini's big black clattery kind of that kind of like ugh, it's almost broken but it works and yeah anyway it's 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 a marvelous uh sound that you got there and i'm i'm surprised that you were a bit of a novice by the sounds of it. You just worked really hard at it, it's, it sounds like, in practice. Well, if you're practicing five days a week for, what did you say, 15 hours a day, then like you're, you're yeah. going to you're <laughs> gonna get better eventually, I think, I hope. Well, I, I mean, you know, electric guitar is like a pretty magical thing and uh, in the sense of using it as a noise instrument and needless to say, there were, there were piles of influences and piles of work that had been done by others. Yeah long before uh you know i i i have to say i was i was never like the biggest sonic youth fan but the, the, the stuff that i did like and you know I, that's i guess the cliched classic example of like you know untrained guitar players figuring out how to use the just the sheer volume and conductivity of an electric guitar yeah. to create a combination of note choice and chordal choice and just sheer texture yeah. for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that was all I can say is we were all listening to stuff, including my bloody Valentine and, you know, shoegaze and, and, and hardcore. And, uh, and also, you know, obviously we'll get to this probably and it. We, we sort of touched on it obliquely talking about Brad stuff and talking about both uh, Scott and Keith's styles rhythm wise. But, you know, we were always a split personality band from right from the start. You know, we were always interested in making 
fast, hard, crazy, chaotic, controlled chaos music. Uh, but we were always also writing ballads, mm -hmm. honestly, you know, we played acoustic shows from time to time where we would just take like our quieter music uh, or our quieter stuff and play that. And, uh, you know, we probably wrote a hundred songs aside from like without exaggeration in that, you know, in the, just in the two year period from 93 to 95, we probably wrote close to a hundred or certainly 60 or 70 songs uh, before we even, the ones that we chose to record for these two cassettes, of which a few of those songs we chose to put on this kind of reissue edition. And those songs were pretty evenly split, I would say, between like very fast and kinetic and then quite slow and spacious. Like Keith was re referencing earlier, this kind of like dark lounge, yeah. you know, sort of vibe, which uh, I also really think, you know, again, like Scott and Keith both had influences there that really helped orient us around that kind of stuff. Playing with space and, yeah, loving the... I was going to say understated drama of, of the bad seeds, but that's, there's nothing understated no. about that. But, you know, like you know, wanting to find that, that our own pocket for, for that kind of sensibility as well. But like you said, Fish was a little bit more understated and a little bit more yeah. shadowy. And I guess, you know, Joy Division becomes a good reference there too, where they would also just stretch it out and just play with space. And so I always had to think about chords you know, it wasn't all just scronk and rapid fire wailing, but also with Keith and Scott in, and, you know, just instrumentally, like melodically speaking, uh, Scott's ability to just either anchor down an insane, you know, Jesus Lizard style or birthday party style baseline, like metronomic uh, in the pocket with Keith, uh, where I could just like, it didn't matter if I played or not, you know, those songs... <laughs> those songs worked. Like I just had so much freedom. I was a right. spoiled brat on that front. You know, I could just, you know, but on the other hand, I had at times, uh, in, in many cases, I had uh, Scott uh, holding down a huge amount of, of, of melody, uh, a song like So Around on the new collection. I mean, there's piles of those, you know, that, that just never got recorded. And that was a huge part of, of, of our sensibility and just figuring out how to, how to write. And so, like I can read music. I, I took piano lessons. It's not that I was an untrained musician, period. You know, uh, I was never very good, but I, my mom was a music teacher and I, I oh, took okay. piano lessons. Uh, and I had a very, I had a very good piano teacher who was never about teaching to like the conservatory. And I never did any of that stuff. I never did recitals and I was never very good, but she loved exposing me to everything. So she would be like, do that from age eight, you know, be like, play this Broadway tune and play this rudimentary jazz arrangement and then play some bar talk and then you know this was all on piano so you know i mean i i did understand like some melody yeah, and harmony sure. stuff as did scott certainly and you know scott were you like you were more or less oh, a yeah. self-taught yeah. bass player I, i've only uh, been trying to teach myself piano during the pandemic and that's the first time i've tried to learn how to read music so it was all self-taught and uh yep well you're good if i might say you're pretty good Thanks, man. Yeah. No, it's it's really great. I uh, know from my own time in, in band practices, sometimes uh, you, you get everything set up and then the drummer starts playing a beat and then everyone kind of plays to that. And then all of a sudden a song or an idea emerges. Uh, Keith, would you say you, you helped start some songs in that regard? Uh, how did it work? Uh, did it work any particular way in the band room, I guess is what I'm getting at? Did Ian? It sounds like Ian didn't do much work. 
Uh, he, just, <laughs> he was often absent. He just made stuff oh. up when when you guys figured something out. No, I'm kidding. But Keith, did you do you feel like you had a a kind of contributing role in initiating song ideas? Oh, I think we all did, really. You know, I'll, I'll listen to the catalog, as it were. And yeah, there's some that came about. It's it's sort of funny. Like sometimes I would actually play something just maybe fooling around a little bit and thinking, okay, this is an impossible beat to play to. But then suddenly Scott would come up with something. Right. And then we would just add to it. But Ian came in with ideas. It really was quite fluid that way. Yeah. And I think it's one of the few bands I've ever played in that I don't really remember the writing process because it was so, in fact, it was such a team endeavor. And I think well, we because, just, because it always, it all happened right there. Yeah. We uh, just build a song on the rehearsal yeah. space. Basically it all just kind of emerged from, I don't remember anyone bringing in a, a quote unquote lick or something. Oh, song, yeah. Hey, yeah. Yeah, look, I've got this song. No one brought in a song I see. Okay. ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's no, true. It was all. Yeah, that's yeah. really yeah. true. Brad, you, really you're, true. we've characterized yeah. you for your, uh, here anyway as a singer uh, and a, a, a lyricist. Uh, do you play music? And, and if so, did you uh, bring musical ideas or or, or idea, uh, melody ideas, whatever, uh, to the, to yeah, the band? You know, no, I mean, much like we've been hearing, I also was a young uh, piano-taking person, uh, lesson person as well for yeah. several years. Yeah. So it was not without some kind of musicality, per se. But absolutely, I was always very interested in singing. Uh, And it's uh, it's funny because you don't get... It's not like something you get a chance to do. (laughs) Like, I'm going to try this out here with these people. Where do you sing? Nowhere. You sing in the shower. You sing privately. Oh, whatever. If you go, I don't know, maybe some people are in choirs or something. Or you did that in high school in theater, perhaps. Nothing, did none of that. So for me, again, I brought up the fact that it's really these guys. Yeah, who yeah. The, yeah. You know, let's face it, the musical genius is behind the, the whole enterprise. And I was able to simply kind of absorb this. Well, you know, sure, it's all happening in real time. I'm there, I'm kind of extemporizing within the, the jam space itself, you know, literally kind of, you know, humming along wordlessly and finding uh, a kind of vocal uh, root uh, in some sense. And uh, and then that's where you're kind of trying out some of the variations, as it were. But yeah, we would set, we had a cassette, a little boombox in there that we would, more often than not, I was there manning it. Like, all right, I'm going to record this section you know you've come up with let's not forget this yeah you know, we, this is yeah. such a great one so not only True, yeah, yeah not only keeping track of some of those uh fragments but then also taping all right here's this song they've been working on it seems to be kind of almost you know full through at this point I would take that tape home and that's where I would do my embarrassing <laughs> like try try to find you know <laughs> where is the uh, the placement right. in the song that I kind of find an into, and uh, so that was really it. Okay. You know, we're all there together, everything happening in real time, and then sure, I'm taking it away on tape, but of course, these guys are also like iterating in their minds, etc. Right. And next time we came back, something would be a little different. I'd have more lyrics, it'd be more, and you know, it would not take long. And Azim, I think, used this term. You know, we live for it. That's it. We lived for each song. Each song was like a new, like chance to just 
find the most whatever it was not you know in some sense extreme but also satisfying yeah, it's very fulfilling kind yeah. Of fulfilling yeah. Yeah, yeah a moment and and that's that we were chasing it <laughs> like the the, the, the musical addicts. We <laughs> uh, <laughs> exactly. we, we've traced the, I think, the history of your working together. I want to get to why the band stopped when it did and then uh, into this sort of uh, reassembly, if you will, uh, revisiting this work uh, for this collection. Uh, let's start with why. Scott, I'm going to go to Scott. Do you have any recollection as to why the band uh, started to slow down and eventually sort of cease playing together? You know, a band is a really hard thing to to maintain. It's I've I've referred to it often as a kind of a marriage, which I guess is a cliche, but it it's a it's a heavy relationship, especially when you're doing it as often as we were and as making as heavy a thing as we were. And you know, we we kind of felt we were beating our heads against a wall. And unfortunately, things were kind of looking up. We'd released Gray in '97. We got to play in the states. You know, we were getting some good reviews. It could have kept going, but, you know, we were by that point getting into our mid to late 20s. I think I turned 30 that year, and uh, it was in ha- early happy, of ha- happy, happy birthday. I'm, I'm sorry. Hey, thanks, man. It's belated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, and, and this isn't at all to, to lay the blame anywhere, but I think Keith, Keith wanted to move on with some other things. He was going back to school and, when he announced that he was going to do that, I kind of felt like that took the wind out of the sails. It was kind of a John Bonham thing for me. I was like, I don't know if it would be Sofa without Keith. Mm-hmm. So there, there was briefly talk of carrying on, and we just—I think we all just agreed to keep going our our own ways. Yeah, Keith, does that check out? Do you want to rebut anything that was said? Uh, no, not a thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was definitely uh, something that I. Uh, I just felt really overwhelmed by a lot that was going on. I went back to do graduate work. Didn't think I could actually juggle a band that really, I think, to do the music justice, to do our history, if you will, justice. I didn't think I had the time to put into it. So it really pained me, but I decided I would hand in my resignation, and that's what happened. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I'm going to trust that this is true. I've heard from two of four members. I'm not going to go to the others uh, unless they want to add anything. I do want to uh, talk about uh, this uh, remarkable new uh, collection, Source Crossfire. Uh, Ian, I'm going to go to you first. Just because you work at a record label, uh, you probably thought, I'm guessing. No, you know what? I'm not going to guess. I can just ask you. You're all right here. Ian, (laughs) who who spearheaded the idea of revisiting this material and repackaging it for the first time on vinyl, who came up with this concept of this idea, this notion? Well, it was none of us. Oh, it was Dawn. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I see. It was. Okay. So I finally, okay. So Dawn, <laughs> Dawn, it was Dawn. Dawn just felt like we haven't done this justice. This is an early and significant release. Is that where he was coming from? Probably Ian. Yeah, I mean, you know, so Don, who is the other, the co-founder of Constellation, but also prior to the label starting, you know, uh, moved to Montreal a year, a year and a half prior, and was at every sofa show and became a a big friend of of all of ours. And so, you know, I think, uh, first of all, uh, you know, uh, 
it could never be me because that would just make it a total vanity project, which, you know, yeah. uh, the fact that, that we released Sofa as our first record was already like, uh, yeah, we did, didn't we? Well, this is why I backtracked from going to you first because I'm like, wait a minute, I, I can't see Ian being like, you know, what would be a good yeah, idea. My band in 2021, <laughs> yeah, my band, the Ian Olavsky experience. <laughs> so uh, it was really your, well, part- was your partner, right? Yeah. yeah, Dawn for sure was like, but and and I will say strictly from a label perspective, the truth is, in those early years, there were a few records we put out only on CD at the time didn't take us long to get up to speed where we did vinyl and CD on everything. But, you know, that was not feasible economically or otherwise. And so the first Sofa record and the first Do Make Say Think record and a couple others were CD only. It's also true there were a couple things we did early on that were vinyl only, like the first Exhaust record that we subsequently put out also on CD at a time when that made some, some sort, of, sort of sense. So, uh, you know, from a strictly, like, label archival perspective, Sofa's the last thing and the only thing that was left from the early years that had never gotten the vinyl treatment. Uh, the first Do Make Say Think record did about five or six years ago, uh, or maybe seven now, I can't remember. And uh, so I think, honestly, I think the, the idea that this is something that needs to happen eventually has probably been in the air for like a decade. I mean, right, right. it's, you know, I, I think yeah. that we had started a sort of recovery project, particularly with the cassette material of finding the dats and kind of like giving them a first treatment of just like, is this even usable? You know, I mean, how, you know, can we, you know, this, can, what, what would it, you know, can we dehiss this a little bit? Can we kind of give it a, a bit of a remastering? You know, how well does, does this stuff hold up? How do we feel about it? I mean, that's just going back years and years. So, so it's been uh, <laughs> actually a very, a very long road. And, you know, I think because Gray is, uh, is, is 56 minutes long or something, right? So it's an awkward length. It's like so much a CD era type record. Um, right. So, you know, it's a little too long for a single LP, but it's, you know, it's like, what do you, maybe a double 10 inch, but even then it's like just barely, but then it didn't really line up. And then, so there was always this kind of elephant in the room, which was if we're going to go and do gray on, on, on vinyl, what do we do about its original running time? Uh, and of course we all in the band, once Don was encouraging us to say, yes, you should do this. It's my idea. Don't worry. was like, how would we flesh this out? And then that became, you know, a long process in the sense of like every few months we'd sit down and listen to some things or every few months we talk about it. And yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, uh, there's always a thousand things going on. So, you know, it obviously no disrespect to, to us and the band, uh, I don't think there's 5,000 fans that were waiting on bated breath for the, for the sofa issue. So it's more like, what is our motivation ultimately, you know, at this point, aside, <laughs> aside from the label's desire absolutely to, to finish, you know, to close the loop on some of these early yeah. recordings that, that hadn't been. Um, and so then it was a question of like, yeah, negotiating, like what would, you know, I mean, look, at the end of the day, why not go to town? You know, you're doing this. It's, it's, it's going to be a limited edition vinyl only pressing, you know, we made 500 of them. We know we've got 
Brad, who's still firing on all cylinders as a visual artist, who's going to do an amazing job if we give him, you know, a nice, big, uh, luscious canvas to art direct the record. And so, you know, event, I, I think with for about three years now, we've been living with the idea that maybe there's a way of doing gray, but having to like shorten it somehow to fit it on one slab of vinyl and then do a companion piece of this cassette material that I think we all feel, you know, like I feel like obviously there's no distance. So there's a huge amount of nostalgia around, around those documents. They're also like, we did those ourselves just fully, you know, I mean, we kind of did it all ourselves, but you know, I mean, uh, those cassettes were, we put them out ourselves. We, 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 we recorded them with Paul Geray live to two track and they do document, I think, a different sound that we had for quite a while prior to the Gray sessions, where I think we went into Gray, we were in a real studio, and we kind of had a real engineer. And, you know, I think we brought a different set of, like, sonic ideas that are much drier, you know, and were much more, like, like a lot crispier. But there was a, a kind of a, a, yeah, a big dance hall, an empty, an empty room, again, like... Keith had said this kind of dark lounge vibe, even to the even to the quote unquote louder stuff, you know. So there's some songs on this this second piece, uh, the second album of Source Crossfire, that are on the quote unquote loud side hmm. that play with a lot of tension release, um, yeah. but yeah. that are that are like much more spacious, you know, and not just because of the way we recorded them, but but because of how we were thinking about how we wanted music to sound uh, in the first place, you know. So. So that's how it came about. I mean, you know, there were debates, not so much debates, but just kind of like, should we still go back and forth? Because Gray in its original sequence kind of goes back and forth. You know, you, yeah, you, yeah. You, got a, you got a couple of rippers and then, it, and then it slows right down and it goes back again. And, you know, I think that could have gone a hundred different ways. But in the end, the cassette stuff that we had done was loud sides and, and quiet sides. And that felt like a nice way to just bring some, some conceit to the reissue. Right. Uh, and, it, and given that we ultimately settled on the idea of like chopping a couple of Grey songs out, uh, which we did still remaster, and there will be a full Grey, like Grey's going to exist. Uh, it's going to exist on DSPs, like, you know, but we will update it with the remastered. Oh, tracks. okay. So okay. you can still land on Grey on Spotify, you know, in a couple of weeks, and you'll get now the full album in its remastered version. Oh, cool. Uh, so there's two songs from Grey, On Off, the opening track, actually, and Red Lake, which is, I guess, the, probably arguably the slowest song we ever recorded that are you know they've been brought up to this sort of the same uh given the same kind of sonic treatment so so those will be there but in terms of like just figuring out vinyl sides it felt like reconceiving the sequence of gray uh along the lines of the way we approached the cassette material from 1995 and do a loud and a a quiet side there and, and then do the same in choosing the cassette material to put onto vinyl uh, became like, yeah, an interesting way to just sort of recontextualize. So in the end, we decided to give it its own name. Uh, I know it's all a bit confusing for the few people that, that you know, yeah. remember Gray and, and are excited about the reissue. Uh, you know, we're kind of doing a weird, it's kind of a reissue, but it's more of a recontextualization retrospective. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that feels really, it feels really good. It feels really nice to do it that way. And it, and it, and it, I think it allowed us all to re-engage with the material uh, as well, you know, in a, in a way and, and for the listeners too. 
I really appreciate that explanation, Ian, and thank you for that. Uh, I guess when we talk about any kind of reconvening, uh, it begs the question about, I mean, these days, who can play anywhere? But has there ever been chatter about actually reconvening SOFA, uh, given what we're talking about now, maybe even just to celebrate its release, maybe it's one show, maybe it's one event, some sort of reconvening where you get together and play, uh, who am I going to go to with this question? Who's smiling the most? Who looks the most incredulous at this question? Keith, what do you think about my line of questioning? Do you foresee a time where Sofa might reconvene and play? Loaded question, Vish. I think there are those of us who would like to see that, and I think this issue may be discussed at a certain date, but I really can't say. I don't know why all of that sounded like you were threatening me. It just, everything <laughs> sounded like I was going to be assassinated at some point. And you were just like, don't worry, we've got you. We're going to take care of you, Vish. Don't worry. No, uh, Brad, do you want to um, decipher uh, what Keith is saying? Who wants you know, to do it? Yeah, like start- never say never, obviously. <laughs> okay. This is a credo, probably. Uh, it's good all around. But uh I would suspect that Ian has the most uh, to say about this simply because as uh, you know, and I, I get it, I, but I get it from all of our perspectives as well. You know, I can't say that I've sang since then, but certainly Ian has not really played his guitar in many. Is that right? Uh, Ian, you've played in some, years. you played in, uh, uh, you didn't you have a band with Rebecca? Yeah, of course. That? And uh, let me, let me rephrase that. Yeah, he he hasn't a, played sofa guitar, right? which so is a much different beast, I think, than, uh, yeah. I guess and, Mount, uh, Mount Zion guitar was pretty far removed, maybe, from sofa. I never, I can't think of it. I feel like I should be the last person to speak okay. to this. We haven't heard <laughs> Scott. Yeah. All right, fine. I am going to go to Scott here. Uh, Scott, would you like to play in sofa again? Uh, this is the, the awkward part of every episode of VH1's band Reunited. <laughs> It just is—is is that a show? I didn't even know that was yeah, a show. Oh yeah, yeah. You, you can see them online. They—it's pretty wild. It's usually a new wave bands from the '80s, but more often than not, they do not reunite. Right. Uh, but never mind that. Yeah, I, I sure would. But you know, I went and moved to Toronto, so there are right. logistical things there. I—I I would come back if if we were doing a one-off or if we were doing something more than that. I'd love to. But uh, y- y'all got to want to do it, Ian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the, hon- the honest answer for me is uh, it, there's nothing about the desire that, that wouldn't be there. And I remain blown away by bands uh, of anything like our ilk, by which I mean, I guess, you know, a sound of its era and, and, and a kind of like, there's a lot of pieces that would need to come back together for me on guitar. <laughs> mm-hmm. And to answer the question you were about to ask, Fish, yes, it's true. I continued to play guitar for a number of years in Silvermount Zion, especially, uh, and also messed around in a couple just little things. But that all stopped for me in 2008. That's when I stopped playing in Silvermount Zion. Mm-hmm. And even in Silvermount Zion, what I was doing in that band was much more a kind of support, almost sort of rhythm guitar role, I would say, more like filling space amidst, you know, two violins and a really wild lead guitar sound from Ephraim and doing a lot of group singing, which of course I never did in Sofa. Nobody else sang ever but Brad. And that was by design. And I think, uh, and so 
So that was like, there was just, it was just like apples and oranges, really. But <laughs> I am the one that I think would find the, uh, I don't think I could do it. I mean, I just don't think I could do it technically. I don't think I could do it. I'm, I'm kind of broken physically anyways at this point. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and I was, because I was such an untrained guitarist, I mean, I would be often in agony after a live show. And I'm sure, like, I, you know, this is not breaking out the violence. I, I'm sure everybody uh, hurt after uh, performances uh, for various reasons and, and in different ways. But I was so poorly trained, you know, as a guitar player that um, I really think, like, a, you know, I, I just, I was bad at it uh, physically, yeah, sure. you know. Uh, and uh, But just the sheer, uh, to go back and try and even figure out what the hell I was doing back then would be really, uh, would be difficult. And so then it's like, then it's just a huge, it would just be, a, for me, it would be a very huge uh, investment. Of yeah, time. like a Herculean sort of, uh, unfortunately, I mean, it breaks my heart. It does mm. because uh, it, it would be fun, you know, um, it really would. And But it, it is also really true that it's been now 13 years that I I have not picked up a guitar and I don't miss it. I, I mean, I miss Sofa. Yeah. And I miss I miss the feeling of, of playing and there was no band that came anywhere close to the level of sheer like pleasure and satisfaction and uh i mean no in, not 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 nothing comes close that's for sure there's, there's, a, few, uh, there's a few things i want to say here and yeah. I, i'm sorry if i've touched upon a sore spot I, I wasn't expecting this so i apologize for that aspect of things uh secondly uh ian do you remember you actually had me buy you a guitar do you remember this Well, well, well. Got me a guitar. There was a guitar. So there was a guitar on sale on Kijiji, I want to say, and it happened to be in Cambridge, I believe, or or it was in my region. It was in Ontario, and you reached out to me to be like, "Hey, man, there's this guitar for sale, and I yeah. really, really want it. I don't know if it was a Travis Bean right. or I don't know what it was." Yes, it, yeah. And then I was like, "Okay, I that's weird that my parents live in Cambridge." Uh, I was living right. in Guelph, probably. So I met the guy right. and like... As uh, if I knew the difference. Right. Well, whatever. It was fine. I was happy to do it for you. It wasn't very far. <laughs> it was like 20 minutes away. So I went right. and met this guy in a parking lot at a plaza. And then I got... I don't know how I got it to you. I must have brought it the la- next time I went to Montreal, I think. Amazing. Do you, do you have that guitar? Did I just do all that work for no reason? You haven't been playing guitar the whole no. time? Uh, well, that must have been that must have been uh, for Mount Zion because yeah. the guitar I played all the, throughout the entire span of Sofa was a SG Firebrand. Oh no, this is well after uh, Sofa. This is like we had re yeah, 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 reestablished yeah, 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 connection yeah. from a constellation. Yes. I'm covering yep, constellation, yep, yep. so we were friendly yep. in that manner. But you you're like I yep. don't know anyone else in that area. I, it's right. I remember looking at it and it seemed like an expensive. Uh, exciting guitar, but do you remember what it was? Was it expensive? I thought, like a grand or something? Oh, maybe I don't know. I just remember thinking it was at, like at a, most, was it a, which was expensive. I don't know if it was probably, aluminum but, or uh, something. I just remember thinking, oh, it's a yeah, it's a fancy guitar. But you know, it wasn't a it wasn't a Travis Bean. What was the what was the other? It was a Flying V Double Neck guitar. Anyway, it was a guitar. Anyway, uh, I didn't mean to bring it up. You know, but I just thought that's that's uh, that's the other part of the problem is that my memory generally is uh, is shot, and hmm. so uh, yeah, to learn. <laughs> 
to learn all the music again uh, would be difficult. Aside from like, yeah, just figuring out how to how to re-render it. But it certainly would be picking up the SG again. That's for sure because that was very that was very that that the resonance of that guitar yeah. and the, and the humbucker pickups and and all the rest of it were like uh, also crucial to to the sound that we had, which if I remember correctly, Vish, the reason I, I wanted you to grab that guitar is partly because they were being fetishized by all these new people I was playing with in the God's Oh, orbit. okay. Uh, you know, like the, it did, it had a metal headstock and maybe uh, it wasn't, yeah. wasn't the Travis Bean. There's another, this is so I stupid. Could, I, this is, I, this I, just speaks to my no, no, guitar. I, I know like, that I'm such there's a another but, aluminum uh, guitar company and I, maybe they're called, yeah, maybe exactly. they're called electrical. I don't remember what they're called, but anyway, yeah. Someone will, uh, if you have like a, <laughs> if, if, if anyone's listening and you have a, you have a comment section, they'll be able it to. It was on, uh, and I think it was on eBay or something, but anyway, I, I, whatever it was, it was kind of a fun little thing that I thought I, it, it just, all of this guitar talk obviously made me think of that. And, uh, anyway, back to the sore point thing. I'm sorry. I hope, uh, you know, uh, I, I, for fans of this music, obviously it'd be cool to see, but we're also just, we would be selfish to make Ian. I mean, to me, you've got the makings of a new VH1 show where a guy teaches Ian how to play his own guitar parts, like some guitar teacher, some AI. some person. We're gonna outsource yeah, it to some a person has to teach Ian how to play his own guitar parts. That would be. Is Robert Fripp still alive? He is. He is. Yes, Robert could probably do Perfect. it. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Perfect. Anyway, sorry, this took a, a silly tone there, but I, I, I just want to say, I am appreciative of this uh, resurrection. Of sofa, <laughs> and uh, mm. I think it's really cool. And whether you play together Thanks. ever again, we have this amazing documentation, which I always praise Constellation for doing. I think that's what you were getting at, Ian. Like it's an archive. Yeah, buy the record. That's what I was getting. At. Get uh, buy. Everyone <laughs> should buy Source Crossfire when it's out on. Uh, I believe it's. Don't out. wait for the live show. <laughs> get get right in There's on this. Not, not going to be on the merch table. That's exactly right. September seventeenth. <laughs> 2021 uh where can we go to learn more about will, will sofa have their own like social media uh by the time the record comes out or anything like that will you start your own instagrams and things no 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 i'm just kidding i didn't know i didn't think so no yeah, we'll just no. we'll follow cst records is that right ian yeah okay i mean again uh uh, Brad and uh, Scott in particular have been really great archivists. Right. And so we have, uh, we have some really great handbills from back then and, and, and so on and so forth. So constellations, social media, such as it is, will be rolling out uh, some of that stuff just for, for fun and to remind everybody of the, uh, of, of the, of the $3 threshold oh, yeah, right. that prevailed at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think we have a handle from like a, from a uh, from no. a uh, Saint-Tropez Roulant benefit from like 1996 that was seven dollars to get in, and I can remember every I can remember us being like, "Fucking hell, they're charging seven dollars for this show." Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, we've got piles of handbills, all of which say two dollars, three dollars, four dollars, multi-band bills, yeah. you know, and no uh, one's getting paid, and then no uh, one's getting into, no right. one's getting paid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well. That's how That's it was. How it was. Uh, and then uh, we have some actually some interesting also additional visual material from from Brad that'll that'll be coming. Uh, so I guess the term is backloaded. In the last ten days leading up to the release date, there'll be some some other ancillary uh, assets, as you said, yeah. that that will be rolling out. But it is all about the vinyl reissue. Uh, I will say that without having 
distance uh, and clearly not being neutral. But I really do think the remastered versions of these songs are very faithful to what we were doing, uh, but really do make the, the music come alive without any bells and whistles. So, you know, if anybody was into it at the time, I think they'll really like what the, uh, the music sounds like now. And for people that are like interested in, yeah, in, in, in the history of that era that came before their own time, you know, there were piles of bands back then that never really got out of their local scenes. And, you know, if I can try to be objective, I think I think Sofa's worthy of, of being a reference Absolutely. point. Like, like many other American bands who maybe benefited more from, from local and regional scenes and could get around a little bit more and, uh, you know, now have, like, tastemakers that are in positions of power <laughs> who remember them from back then, you know, I mean... Uh, you know, all we've got is uh, is ourselves here and, and, and the fact that Constellation put the record out initially. And so, you know, I, we feel we feel good about about. Well, I, and I will speak. I'll speak out to uh, any Constellation Records completists as well. Uh, this is, uh, as Ian says, I think this is a very extremely worthy collection of music to to to, to collect, to gather, uh, to to buy, I guess is what I'm saying. And I was trying to say it in a less crass way, but as people are listening to this, the record's out uh, this week, uh, the uh, reissue, I should say, uh, the reissue project. Is, it's, I don't know what to call it because it's a weird, it's like a compilation, but I'll call it by its name. Is that the easiest? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Source Crossfire is out in the next few days and you can learn more about it via Constellation Records, as Ian was saying. I'm hoping we can go out on a song uh, from it and I'm hoping we can decide by committee what the appropriate song to go out on is. <laughs> no I'm chance. Gonna begin, I'm going to begin with one member, and then we'll see if everyone agrees. And I have chosen Keith. Keith, you are the master of the Dark Lounge, the god of goth, perhaps. No, I'm kidding. What would you... Oh, really? No, I'm, I'm teasing. I'm just joking. What would you, if you can, if you can think of the songs, uh, which would you like to go out on and why? I think Medicine Hat might encapsulate what we were about it's slightly jagged but it's also sweet it's slightly dark but it's also optimistic hmm. and i think it's just a good song and it's a, possibly not exactly what people would either remember or think of from what this interview that's just transpired i don't think it's really what people would expect so you know you're describing an amazing song you're also i think vaguely describing a toblerone i don't know why that just made me think of all of it's those the things. nougat it's that the... makes the song so especially good. <laughs> Does anybody uh, dispute? It's a stocking uh, stuffer. It's a stocking stuffer. Does anybody else dispute uh, Keith's suggestion that we go out on Medicine Hat? Is any protest no, I occurring? It. I see nothing. Oh, I'm open to it. Everybody agrees? Yeah. Sure thing. Okay. Brett? Okay, let's do wow. it. I think we should do it. This is a Medicine Hat by Sofa from this excellent new release, Source Crossfire. Uh, gentlemen, uh, Scott, Brad, Keith, Ian, thank you so much for making time for me. I hope this was enjoyable for you, and I wish you the best of luck. Best of luck in the future. Thank you so much. Thanks, Beesh. Thank you so much. Thank you. Fantastic. Great. Truly appreciated. Absolutely. Cheers, Beesh.
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Well, very special thanks again to Scott and Ian and Keith and Brad of Sofa for appearing on this, the 636th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, If you can't find an episode that you've heard about, you're looking for it, you don't know where it is, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on facebook if you like or you can follow the show on twitter at vish creative or you can follow me on twitter and on instagram at Vishkana. also please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep the show running six dollars or more a month grants you access to exclusive content and if you're interested in receiving a creative control t-shirt please message me on patreon and i will get you one just as soon as is humanly possible and also while supplies last, dwindling supplies at this point. Thanks again to the fine Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about and order things from, I think, at blackbird.ca. I've linked to everything that I'm about to say in the podcast description. So if you miss what I said, also Bird has a Y in it. Blackbird.ca, but instead of an I, there's a Y. Anyway, what did I say? Oh, yeah, I hyperlinked all these things in the podcast description so feel free to click away there what else uh, what else have i linked to here oh i want to thank pizza trocadero the bookshelf and planet bean coffee in guelph ontario and granddad's donuts in hamilton ontario all of them for their in-kind support for this show thanks as always to my friend jim guthrie for letting me use some music of his on this program uh, you can learn more about jim and his amazing collection catalog of music it's a catalog really you can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode featuring Sofa, for potentially subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends about the show, spreading the word about it. That kind of stuff helps. That grassroots stuff, you know, that helps if you talk about the show a little bit. Hopefully saying nice things. I guess you could. it could be detrimental the more you talk about the show. If you're like, that show sucks. Hey, Phil... Don't don't listen to that show. Don't be don't tell Phil to not listen. Please ask your friend Phil to listen to the show. Anyway, or do nothing. It's fine. Thank you very much for listening. I will talk to you very soon. Bye for now.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.